Chapter 8. You must keep carefully all these commandments I am giving you today so that you may live and increase in number and go and occupy the land. Are you notice repetition here? Why is repetition so important? Because even with all this repetition, they're still not going to do it. <laughs> Remember the whole way by which he has brought you these 40 years through the desert so that he might humble you, test you to see if you are with him, you to keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you with unfamiliar manna. He did this to teach you that humankind cannot live on bread alone. Now, that should sound familiar. Jesus in the wilderness. What is he saying here? The reason I brought you through the trials, the reason I brought you through the wilderness, was to test you and teach you that you do not live on materialism alone. That there's something that goes way deeper than the health, wealth, and prosperity that will allow you to survive. And Jesus got that. See, he's in the wilderness with nothing. And what does the devil immediately begin to offer him? Health, wealth, and prosperity. And does Jesus respond and say, no, that's evil. I shouldn't have that. No, Jesus said, I don't need that because I've got God. But then notice what God did. He came in and he gave Jesus a lot of health, wealth, and prosperity. If you think Jesus was totally poor, he wasn't. They had a big money purse. He was blessed with a lot of things. But the reason he didn't look wealthy and he didn't look like he was keeping up with the Joneses is because he didn't care about that. He didn't care about that because he knew that you lived on something else other than bread alone. And even God says this. When Solomon realized that he needed God and his wisdom more than anything, God said, okay, and now I'm going to give you everything else too. And if you ever really pay attention to the story, it's not the gifts of God, the wealth and the prosperity. That's not what brought Solomon down. It was the women. It was all his wives. And his heart went after other people. So God gave him an abundance because he knew that it wouldn't cause Solomon's downfall. But what caused Ptolemy's downfall is when he took things that didn't belong to him, when he had more than one wife. And they led him astray. And that's important for you to understand. God will give you what he wants, knowing that you can handle it. All you need to do is want and desire God alone. And if he gives you all the other stuff, then great. And then you ask him what you do with it. And that's what he's calling you to. That's what he's calling you to. You need to think of your trials as that. Your trials are to teach you that you don't need the other stuff so that when God blesses you with the other stuff, it doesn't become a snare. It doesn't become a snare. Your clothing you did not wear or you did not um, or wear out, nor did your feet swell with these 40 years. He keenly... Oh, sorry. Be keenly aware that just as parents dis- discipline children... Yahweh your God disciplines you. So you must keep this commandment. Live according to his standards and revere him. For Yahweh your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks and springs and fountains, flowing both in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat food in plenty and find no lack of anything, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you come can mine and copper. You will eat your fill and then praise Yahweh your God because of the good land that he has given you. God puts you through trials, but he ultimately wants to bless you after the trials. 
Verse 11, be sure that you do not forget that Yahweh your God by not keeping his commandments, ordinances, and statutes that I am giving you today. When you eat your fill, then you will build and occupy good houses. And when your cattle and flocks increase, when you have plenty of silver and gold, and when you have abundance of everything, be sure you do not feel self-important. Forget that God, your God, Yahweh your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery, and you who brought through and you and who brought you through the great fearful desert of venomous serpents and scorpions and arid place with no water he made water flow from flint rock fed you in the desert with manna which your ancestors have had never before known so that he might be humbling you to test you and eventually bring you to a good bring you bring good to you be careful not to say, my own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. You must remember Yahweh your God, for He is the one who gives you the ability to get, um, to get wealth. If you do this, He will confirm His covenant that He made by oath to your ancestors, even as He does this today. Now, if you forget that Yahweh your God at all, and follow other gods, worshiping and prostrating yourself before them, I testify to you today that you will surely be annihilated just like the nations that Yahweh is about to destroy from your sight. So he will do to you because you will not obey him. Over and over again, notice the repetition. This is what God keeps saying. Remember, 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 remember what God has done for you. All the amazing ways that he provided for you, delivered you, protected you, gave you victory. Therefore, obey, 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 so that God can continue to be really awesome and good in your life. This is the way he commands you to obey. Notice he gives it to you in a compliment sandwich. <laughs> he gives you all the awesome things that he's done for you as a motivation for why you should be obedient, which then he tells you all the awesome things he's going to do for you if you're obedient as a motivation for why you should be obedient. He's always answering the why. He's always telling you why. He's not saying because I said so. He's not saying, well, because that's what's expected of us. Or he's not saying because so you don't get in trouble. He's saying because I am a God who saved you, provided for you, took care of you. All I ask is that you love me in return. And if you love me in return, I will love you even more abundantly and give you even more. That's your reason. That's your motivation. And this is what he keeps saying over and over again. Because remember, one of the main points that the book of Deuteronomy is making is remembrance is the key to a successful Christian life. Remembrance. We should be doing a lot more storytelling in our churches and our families. There should be a lot more testimonies. There should be a lot more remembering. If we were constantly, and that's part of what our praise songs are doing, our praise songs are helping us remember who God is. But we need personal remembrance, too. We need people in the body of Christ to stand up and talk about their personal encounters. How awesome would it be to have somebody stand up and tell you, this is this song lived out in my life this week. Let me show you how God that we sing about in this song showed up in that way in my life. And if we did that Sunday after Sunday, if we did that in Bible study after study, if we, this became the language of our family with our children, our grandchildren, our cousins and stuff, that would change things drastically. A lot of the reasons we don't trust God is because we're not remembering Him. We know we're supposed to do the right thing, but we're not remembering the amazing things He is. You need to be doing journals 
And I don't know what journals look like. It'd just be writing things on the mirror. It can be video blogs. It can be writing things down. It could be songs that you write, paintings that you paint, anything. Journaling takes all different forms, but we need to be building monuments to these things so that when our children say, what's that, we can tell them a story. We need to be gathering together as believers and remembering what God has done so that we walk out not just with theology, but a very practical example of that theology lived out in somebody's life. The problem is even our worship services have become very formulaic. This is what God is doing. Knows how practical they are and how personal his examples are. He doesn't go back to Abraham's life all the time. He's going back to their life. Not that it doesn't mean you can never go to the book of Genesis, but notice how often he's not going to Genesis. He's not going, he's going to their life, their generation. And he's telling them, he could, the list is way bigger than what he keeps mentioning over and over if he goes to all world history. But he's making it very specific, very practical, very personal. Because that's what's more powerful. And that's what we need to focus on. Those are the stories we need to tell. Because that's what's going to shape our identity of God and our identity of ourselves. Because that's exactly what the epistle writers do. If you have influence in whatever sphere that you have an influence in, then take heart what God is saying to Deuteronomy and try to begin to implement that in your sphere of influence. You don't need to go to like all these people and start telling change things. You just start changing what you can and allow that to influence other people chapter 9 verse 1 here's the theological justification for the conquest listen Israel remember this is here Shema listen and put into practice today you are about to cross the Jordan so that you can dispossess the nations there people greater and stronger than you who live in large cities with extremely high fortifications they include the Anakites a numerous and tall people whom you know about and of whom is said who is able to resist the Anakites. Understand today that Yahweh your God who goes before you is devouring fire. He will defeat. He will subdue them before you. And you will dis dispossess and destroy them quickly just as he has told you. Now notice, they know they can do this because he promised it. It's very important for you to understand that you can only have faith in the thing that God promised. If God gives you a specific promise that you will be successful in some ministry, then you can trust that and know that it will happen. And that's why it's so important if you don't want to get incredibly depressed and incredibly defeated in your ministry, it's important to allow God to call you to a ministry. Because a calling is backed with a promise. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to fix all the problems if you're called to it, but it does mean that God is promising that you will be successful and you will see fruit. I know a lot of people who've gone into ministries that they're not equipped and skilled by God to do. That's just not why God created them. But they did it, and this is a, the big one is a youth pastor. A lot of people I knew growing up they went and they majored as a youth pastor at college because their youth pastor was so implement, influential and implemental and like changing their life. They thought that's what I must do. And they got into the youth ministry and they burned out and they bombed because they did not have the skills or the um, talents or the calling of God to do that. 
I know pastors who are pastors because that's just what you did if you went to seminary. Because back in the early days of seminary, you went to seminary, you became a pastor. Nobody thought about other options like teaching and counseling and parachurch ministries and stuff. They just pastors. And they're failing miserably because they're not gifted in that area. And then we think God is failing us or we're not making a difference. They can be confident that they will have victory because God called them to that task. And that's why you need to pray and ask, what is God calling me to? Not that there won't be bad days. Not that sometimes, I mean, I can't tell you how every year I feel like quitting teaching. I just want to quit and stop because I don't feel like I'm making a difference. There will always be there. But overall, there's a deep sense of fulfillment. And I do see free fruit overall because I know that's what God has called me to. You need to really not follow some passion or whatever. You need to follow what God has called you to. And so this is important to understand. Do not think you yourself. Um, sorry, verse 4. Do not think to yourself after Yahweh your God has driven them out before you because of my own righteousness that Yahweh has brought me here to possess this land. It is because of the wickedness of the nations that Yahweh is driving them out ahead of you. It is not because of your righteousness or even your inner righteousness uprightness that you are come here to possess the land instead because of the wickedness of these nations Yahweh your God is driving them out ahead of you in order to confirm the promise he made an oath to your ancestors to Abraham Isaac and Jacob understand therefore that it is not because of your righteousness that Yahweh your God is about to give you this good land as a possession for you are a stubborn people now how about that for an inspirational speech so when you go in the land and everything is going victorious for you, remember, doggone it, you are not a beautiful, unique snowflake. That is not why all this is working out for you. You are not the most skilled, intelligent person in the batch. That is not why this is going well for you. In fact, you're a stubborn, wicked, evil people. <laughs> like, okay. God's theology is never, ever comforting when he talks about your identity. It's always comforting when he talks about what he can do with your identity. And so what he says is this, do not think that if everything is going well, that it's because you are so righteous, you are so skilled, you are so talented, you are so moral. That is not why. God is giving you victory because they are evil and need to be punished and God made promises to you, period. Why is God going to be with you? Because he loves you so much to redeem you through the cross and because he made promises, period. That's what you hold on to. When you begin to think it's because of me, then you get prideful. And then pastors turn into American idols. I'll give you a really good example. You all know Jim Jones. If you watch the PBS documentary on him, which is like all of his own personal footage and interview with people on him, and there's a movie with Powers Booth, who just died recently. He was a phenomenal actor. He did this movie called The Guyana Tragedy. It's a very accurate movie on Jim Jones' life. I show this to my students because it's an incredible movie that shows the gradual progression. Jim Jones started off as a pretty good guy. He had a really deep love for God in the Bible. 
And he had a huge passion for social justice. And God gifted him and called him to really go to the poor and the blacks and all those people that everybody else in the church had ignored in the heart of the 60s movement and do it in a biblical way. And he was good at it. And when you really look at his life, two factors led to his downfall. He was good at it, and he began to think, I am making a difference. I'm changing things. I'm doing things that other churches aren't doing. And the second thing is, he had such a deep heart for the needs of everybody, he really truly believed that he had to meet the needs of everybody. And it began to wear him out. And so he turned to other means to help restore him. And so he turned to drugs and he turned to sex to try to energize himself and to keep himself going because he had to fulfill every need. At the same time, he was thinking, ah, diagonal, I'm doing an awesome job. And he got arrogant, and that led to him becoming one of the most powerful, influential cult leaders in American history. But if you look at his early life, there was a genuine desire to serve God and take care of other people. He was a little weird, but if weird is a disqualification for ministry, that throws all the prophets out the window. But you need to realize that. God is saying to not allow the numerous size of the enemy and the problem to overwhelm you and make you think that you cannot take the land or overcome this problem or meet these people's needs because God is the God who can do anything. But at the same time, when you start getting really successful because God is a God who can do anything, don't let that go to your head and think, wow, aren't I really great? Because we are a very weird creature we can struggle with low self-esteem and pride at the exact same time. I always find that so interesting, how I can struggle with this pride and arrogance. At the same time, I have a very low self-esteem beating myself up on things and what I'm able to accomplish. And how can I be both at the same time? Because it's called sin. Because it's easily defeated by the size of the problem, but it also we become arrogant in the things that God has gifted us and giving us success in. And God is saying, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. That's the answer for both of those. And that's important because Israel's going to do both. They're going to disobey God when they feel overwhelmed. And they're going to get incredibly prideful and arrogant and think, it can't happen to us because we're this great. In fact, they're going to get to the point where they're going to say, nothing bad can happen to us, not even the exile, because we're the chosen people. Even though Deuteronomy started off by saying, I don't care if you're the chosen people, you're going to exile if you disobey me. In fact, Deuteronomy says, because you're so stubborn and evil, don't worry, one day you will go into exile. It's not an if, it's a when. And yet they forgot Deuteronomy, and they ended in saying, this will never happen to us because God picked us. And sometimes I hear that kind of stuff, even today. And God is warning against both of these. Verse 7, remember, 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 remember. If there's one thing that you remember for Deuteronomy, that's remember. Don't ever forget how you provoked Yahweh your God in the desert from the time that you left the land of Egypt until you came to this place. Now, that's a continuation. 
Remember, if you think that you're that great and that's why all these awesome things are happening to you, remember how much you provoked me. <laughs> From the very beginning that I adopted you, you just annoyed the crap out of me and provoked me and made me, but I stuck it out with you. Why? Because I'm your father. At Horeb, you provoked him, and he was angry enough with you to destroy you. And when I went up to the mountain to receive the stone tablets and the tablets of the covenant that Yahweh made with you, I remained there for 40 days and nights, eating and drinking nothing. And Yahweh gave me the two stone tablets written on them very fine with his very finger of God. And on them was everything he said to you at the mountain from the midst of the fire at the time of the assembly. Now at the end of the 40 days and nights, Yahweh presented me with the two stone tablets and tablets of the covenant. And he said to me, get up and go down once from there here because your people whom you brought out of Egypt has sinned. They have quickly turned away from the way that I commanded them and have made for themselves a cast metal and image. Moreover, he said to me, I have taken note of these people that they are a stubborn lot. Stand aside and I will destroy them, obliterating their very name from memory. And I will make you into a stronger and more numerous nation than they are. Now remember, he keeps going back to this. He keeps bringing this up. And the reason he keeps bringing this up is this is their violation of the covenant. And remember, according to the covenant, that means that this should be all done and over with. According to the covenant, this book shouldn't be written right now because they shouldn't be the people of God anymore. And one of the reasons he keeps going to go back to the golden calf is it's reminding them that they can't keep the covenant, one. And two, no matter whether they keep the covenant or not, God will always be faithful to them. This is Romans. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That's what the golden calf is. Over and over again, the golden calf is reminding them that they broke the covenant. They should be annihilated. God should have abandoned them and had every legal right to do that. But the reason that they're here now listening to this is because God is faithful to them and not because they're faithful to him. And you need to remember, this is part of that reminder. If you think it's because you're so faithful to God that all this stuff is happening, remember that you're not. Now, granted, are you faithful to God? Many, many parts of your life. Yes, because the Holy Spirit's transforming you. Is God blessing and rewarding you with that? Yes. But if you think you're through and through in every single area totally faithful to God, then you're wrong. You're wrong. You need to have a healthy, highly developed sense of, of your depravity before you can have a highly developed sense of your need and therefore your love for Jesus Christ. The people who do not fully understand the deepest, darkest depths of their soul are the people who do not love God as much. And this is what Jesus meant by saying, those who have been forgiven of much, love much. I used to think that it meant like me who grew up in the church and had a pretty decent life overall is not going to love God as much as the hell's angel, biker, murderer, serial killer guy who comes to Christ. But what I realized later was, what it really meant was, when I understand that I am the hell's angel, serial killer, deep down in my soul, and I don't deny that, and I don't think that I'm better, that's what it means to be forgiven of much, loves much. And so what he's trying to do, he's, I know this is so anti every motivational American speech that you've ever heard. As Americans, we think, wow, this is really depressing. God is kind of negative. But the reason he's doing this is because if you do not fully understand the depths of your rebellion and your deep, dark, evil desires, 
you will not understand your absolutely, totally need and desperation to do the things that Deuteronomy is telling you to do, to remember. Remember, it's not until the alcoholic, the drug addict, the sex addict admits that they've got a serious problem and comes out of denial that then they begin to surround themselves with every kind of aid to help them from becoming that. And that's what God is doing here. The theology starts with first, you're a horrible sinner, then moves to how much God loves you and can use you to do anything. And it feels repetitive, and it's because we need to hear it. So he reminds them, you violated the covenant, and God had every right and wanted to destroy you. Verse 15, so I turned and went down to the mountain while it was blazing with fire and the two tablets of the covenant and cast yourself covenant made with hands. And when I looked, you had indeed sinned against Yahweh your God and I cast for yourselves a metal calf. You quickly turned aside from the two tablets and I threw them down and shattered them before your very eyes. Then I again fell down before Yahweh for 40 days and nights and I ate and drank nothing because of all the sin you have committed doing such evil before Yahweh as to enrage him. For I was terrified at Yahweh's intense anger that threatened to destroy you. But he listened to me this time as well. And Yahweh was also angry enough at Aaron to kill him. But at that time I prayed for him too. And as for your sinful, the sinful thing, your sinful thing, that you had made the golden calf, I took it, melted it down, ground it up until it was at fine dust, and tossed the dust into the steam stream, that flows down the mountain. Moreover, you continue to provoke Yahweh at Terabath, Taberah, and Massah, and Kibaroth, Hatava. And when he sent you from Kadesh Barnea, where they said they could not take the promised land, and told you, go up and possess the land I have given you, you rebelled against Yahweh your God and would neither believe nor obey him. You have been rebelling against him from the very first day that I knew you. This sounds a little arrogant. Moses saying, I'm the one that faced God's anger. I'm the one that prayed for you. I'm the one that destroyed the golden calf. And one could easily think, well, wow, if it wasn't for Moses, they would all be dead. And technically that's kind of true. But remember, it also says that Moses was the most humble man ever. So this is not an arrogant I, 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 I. Why is this so emphasized here? Moses doesn't realize it, but it's so emphasized because it's a foreshadow of Christ. It's a foreshadow that God had every right to destroy his covenant people because of their sin, but because a mediator stepped in and atoned for them, they're alive. And you can read this arrogantly, or you can see it as the only reason that we're saved from our evil destruction is because a mediator, Jesus Christ, stepped in and redeemed us. Remember, remember, remember. I, verse 25, lay flat on the ground before Yahweh for 40 days and nights, and he had said he would destroy you. I prayed to him, O Yahweh God, do not destroy your people, your valued property that you have powerfully redeemed and whom you brought out of Egypt by your strength. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Ignore the stubbornness, the wickedness, and sin of the people. Otherwise, the people of the land from which you brought us out will say, Yahweh was unable to bring them, unable to bring them to the land he promised them, and because of his hatred for them, he has brought them out to kill them in the desert. 
They are your people, your valued property, whom you brought out with a great strength and power. And notice, once again, the point in here is, Yahweh, you had every legal right to destroy them, but I'm pleading to your love for these people. Save them. It's the exact same right. Legally, God has every right to send us to hell, but it's because of Christ's love that's what kept him on the cross.